Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, and I am joined as I am every week with BeaverBlitz.com beat writer Carter Baines, who uh, will tape this a day later because you were actually down in Cal. How was the trip? Yeah, well, we're recording this on a Monday because I spent all of Sunday in a car. Uh, and then as soon as I got back to Corvallis, had a couple of things to write, you know, those, those typical post-game Sunday night, you know, Monday morning things that we always run uh, on the site. So it was a busy day yesterday. Uh, I was hoping to maybe get some work done in the car, given that it was about a a nine hour ride back from the Bay Area. But uh, sometimes the productivity is not at an all time high when you're in the car. So we just put that off till we got back. And now we're we're good to go for for Colorado week. Yeah. And you have a really mean boss. I mean, I've heard horrible things about your boss, like pretty demanding. It, it, totally, totally. Um, well, thank you for heading down to Cal and taking one for the team this week, because that really was not a fun game. Um, not a, I don't think what any Beaver fan really expected. Um, we're going to keep to the same format, Carter, but kind of open it up a little more discussion today. Um, let's just talk about that Cal OSU offense. Not our, not the typical offense. I, I think the offensive line struggled more than we've seen them struggle all all season. Couple couple guys out though with injury. What did you see that worked that you liked, and what did you see that maybe didn't work as well that uh, you would like to see more of? The main thing that worked, in my opinion, was just getting Trevon Bradford the ball. You know, and I, I think a lot of that was attributed to Chance Nolan. Well, his his end of game stat line might not look incredibly impressive I think he actually had a pretty solid game uh, the deep ball was working for him this week and you know that's something that he's obviously shown a little bit of inconsistency with so it was really good to see him uh, connect his connect with his receivers downfield and and get Trevon Bradford the ball in, in space and he had a couple of passes to him that went for at least 30 yards and had that 46 yard touchdown as well so uh, credit to to Nolan for kind of picking things up with the deep ball and and not only Bradford getting involved there, but Luke Musgrave had a 28 yard catch champ Fleming's had a 40 yard ball. So uh, he was, he was spreading it around and, and getting it downfield, which is something that we've been kind of hoping to see from Nolan is opening up the deep ball and, and finding some things in the passing game that haven't necessarily been working to this point in the season. So I'm going to be contrary to, I mean, I agree, but I don't think Oregon State needed to go the deep ball as much. I mean, I, I would have liked to seen a little more, um, you know, I thought by now in the playbook, we'd be seeing more of the fly sweep motion and fly sweeps. Um, I, I think Cal was daring Oregon State to throw. And uh, sometimes you can't just go full on deep ball all the time, but I would have liked to see more slants, little bubble screens. Trey Lowe has really kind of emerged as, as that guy you want to get the screen to and, and just really running that fly motion more. Um, even if you're not, you know, going to be utilizing the actual fly person um just seeing that more are you surprised we're not seeing more of the fly sweep motion and fly sweeps 
I figured that we would continue to see it, especially because of the success that Oregon State had running it against Washington and Utah and even a little bit at Washington State as well. Uh, Trevon Bradford was the only wide receiver who actually took actually I take it back. Chain Flemings and Trevon Bradford both had a carry, but um, only one each. And that was a little bit less than what we had seen in the past couple of weeks. And, and I mean, when they went to it, it worked. Champ Flemings had a, an 11 yard carry and, and Bradford picked up five with his. Uh, but you, you kind of touched on it there. It, it's not only handing it off to the receiver. It's putting that receiver in motion and, and drawing the defense toward one side and, and keeping them on their toes. Because especially when you've got an offensive line that's down two guys and you're rolling with a, a, a true freshman in Taliesa Fuaga at right tackle, and then you've got Marco Brewer at left guard, you, you kind of need to stretch the field a little bit because you can't rely on your offensive line to the extent that you did in those big wins and, and when you were racking up 250 yards on the ground. You need to find other ways to move the ball on the ground and, and getting it to the outside and, and running down the sideline is a good way to do that because we've seen that Oregon State's tight ends and receivers are pretty good blockers. And so taking advantage of that and getting your receivers into the open field via the ground game, uh, I think would have benefited them pretty well in this game. And the thing I love about the fly sweep is that it does, there's so much you can run from it. I mean, there's, as long as you have a guy in motion, every, I mean, you can be running screens off that you can run handoffs. Um, I, I love the versatility and we saw when it, when it's run correctly, you know, think back to the James Rogers days and, and um, it really is a, another weapon to utilize the talent you have. And that was that brings up another point. Oregon State's not going with some of the hot hands. I mean, Trevon Bradford right now is is far and away, you know, kind of Oregon State's best receiver as far as production. But um, Anthony Gould, I don't, he wasn't targeted at all. I didn't even think I saw him in much. And he's been really kind of the hot hand when he comes in. He's made plays. Um, so what I really liked and what we saw was play calling against that second in the second half of Utah. We saw that misdirection. We saw um, a lot of creativity in the play calling. And I don't, we didn't see that against Cal. And I wonder a little bit how much of that can be attributed to Oregon State not finding the success in the running game that it had become accustomed to. You know, if, if you're used to running the ball 50 times a game and, and getting anything you want, really, averaging about seven yards per carry, and suddenly that's not working for you, and it's the first time that it hasn't worked since the season opener, I think I, I think that could throw things off a little bit. You know, obviously we're not in the coaching box and we're not in the post-game meetings and whatnot, but I would be curious to, to kind of know if maybe some of the play calling was um, a bit reactionary to the running game not giving the Beavers what they had, uh, what they had gotten used to. Do you, do you think that it really kind of, threw them for a loop that very first play with, with the fumble that, I mean, it was questionable call when you saw it on film, but it was, you know, they, they didn't have the evidence to overturn it. So do you think that set the tone? I mean, do you think that put Oregon state back on its heels immediately? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, I think BJ Baylor was probably pretty frustrated with himself. And from that point on, he, he really struggled only averaged 3.2 yards per carry and was limited to 42 yards on the ground. Uh, and we saw Fenwick come in and, and actually take almost just as many carries as Baylor. So I think a lot of that is obviously, as we mentioned with the offensive line, uh, not performing up to expectations, but there's probably a little bit of that, uh, you know, disappointment in himself 
as, as the game's going on and maybe got into his head a little bit. Um, but I, I think, you know, Mike Parker and, um, and John Warren made a good point on the Joe Beaver show today as we were waiting for Jonathan Smith to, to come into the, the media room. Oregon State was playing down two possessions pretty much the entire game because of that. Um, you have a short field position for, for California after that fumble, and then they go down and score on what would have been their first possession had you not fumbled. So you're playing down 10 points right out of the gate. Uh, and, and that sets you back because, you know, you're essentially not touching the ball um, until you're already down two scores, right? You know, as opposed to coming in and, and either being in a tie game or down by one possession, really your first play is coming down in a, in a 10 nothing game. I, I believe Cal's second score was a field goal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're playing from behind uh, essentially the entire game and, well, that was also the case in the Utah game and Oregon State came back and, and won that, um, it's, it's not easy to do. And it's something that you can't rely on your offense doing week in and week out. Especially on the road. Um, how, let's talk about the defense because that's been kind of the, the topic du jour. But I don't want to get too into the overview. Let's just talk about the game because some of our discussion points are going to be about the defense. But um, well, back to the offense. One thing I think that maybe fans, media, everybody kind of discredited it was Cal was the statistically best defense that Oregon State has faced and run defense, especially. So um, you have the number one rushing team going against the number one rushing defense. And good matchup. This, yeah, it's something that I kind of touched on a little bit. And he said, she said this week. And I said, you know, you really can't be too disappointed with Oregon State scoring 25 points against Cal because at the end of the day, I mean, that's about what Cal's averaging, yeah. giving giving up. And I know Oregon State had the number one offense in the Pac-12 coming into the game, but anytime you go up against a defense like that, it's going to be difficult to score points. And uh, in our staff predictions this week, I had Oregon State scoring 27, and I felt like I was maybe on the lower end of things, but it, it kind of unfolded the way I thought it would. Um, I just think that Oregon State could have been a lot more efficient and could have taken care of the ball a lot better en route to scoring those 25 points. And that's more what I expected. I didn't expect the three turnovers. I thought it would be more a case of, you know, Oregon State's moving the ball, but then these drives are stalling out, stalling out around midfield, um, as opposed to Baylor fumbling on the first play and then Chance Nolan throwing two picks. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk defense a little bit. Um, we've, we've talked about the abysmal third down at ad nauseum on Twitter and in the lodge, but did you see anything that worked from Oregon State's defense this week? Not a whole lot to be completely <laughs> honest with you. I mean, there's really keeping it real much. on the damn podcast. Yeah. I mean, we need to call it, call it as it is because allowing 39 points to California is, um, and it should, I mean, just, let's just be honest. It should have been like 46. Frankly, yeah. I mean, it, it could have been worse and, and, Quite frankly, it's it's just unacceptable. I mean, you can't you can't give up that many points to what looks like probably the third worst offense in the Pac-12 this year. Um, I, I will give credit to Cal. I mean, they have a lot of talent on that team, and they're very experienced. Chase Garbers, in my opinion, is one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. They've got a great one-two punch at, at running back, pretty deep group of wide receivers, and an experienced offensive line. So it's not like they don't have talent, but uh, as we've seen under coach Wilcox, 
Cal just really struggles to score the ball, regardless of who's on that unit. Um, and, and so the fact that they go in and they score more points against Oregon State than any other FBS opponent this year, uh, that directly speaks to Oregon State's defense because week in and week out, the Golden Bears have struggled to score. This isn't a, an up and down type of offense. This is a very consistent, we're going to score in the low to mid 20s. We're going to grind it out. And they came out and they they hung 39 on Oregon State. Like I said, and it should have been, what, 46? Because they melt down at the, they kind of had mercy. Um, brings me, I mean, so yes, Oregon State was completely, the coaching staff completely uh, overmatched there against, like you, like we said before we came on, before I hit record, um, they were outsmarted by a bunch of docs. That, that never feels that great because, you know, Wilcox and Musgrave and, but they did, they had a great game plan, credit to them. They executed and Oregon State did not. Um, this, I, I wanna talk a little bit about this defense because the offense is taking some big strides. You know, they are making improvements um, through year four now. We're in year four with, with Coach Smith. Defense is not, they are kind of treading water and um, in that. And, and the, I think the most glaring to me is that 127 out of 130 teams at third down conversion. So, you know, on, on offense, they call the third down, the money, the money down. And uh, it really is for the defense too, because if you can't get off the field, then a, you're, you're tiring yourself out and it usually doesn't end well. So um, what are your thoughts uh, just in general? Actually, I, I want to ask you this because it came up in the lodge a couple of times and I, I don't, I know my thoughts on this. So a poster in the lodge said that kind of the, the sentiment of at the beginning of the season, Beaver fans were hoping just for six wins and be bowl eligible. Shouldn't we be thrilled with where the Beavers are right now? My feeling is that is a, that is complete mediocrity. And if you, you, you want to be better and if you're, you're changing your mind as you, as you watch this team, and this is a team, Hey, the PAC 12 is not, amazing right now they're not good and you have a team that potentially could be winning every game you know where do you draw the line Carter are you are you in that camp that you should just be happy that you're competing for a bowl game or do you think that fans need to expect uh, expect more from their team well I I think it can be both right I, I think you can sit here and say well Oregon State's five and three it's in a position that it hasn't been in in probably seven eight years um, there's clear, a, a clear upwards trajectory. This team's winning games that it wasn't expected to win. And at the end of the day, you know, you can be okay with that. You can be okay with the progress this team has made, but at the same time, we've seen Oregon state lose two games that it should have won. Especially if, if you're going to go in and, and you're going to beat Washington, you're going to beat USC and Utah, you expect to beat Cal, you expect to beat Washington state. And I think it, it's tough because Oregon State's probably the caliber of team that's going to win six, seven games this year. And a, a team like that is going to win some games that it shouldn't win, and it's going to lose some games it shouldn't lose. And that's exactly what you've seen. You know, you've seen Oregon State beat a very good Utah team at home, but you've also seen them lay an egg on the road a couple of times. And that's what you're going to get from a middle of the road team in the country, you know, one of those teams that's going to finish right around 500, probably a little bit above. Um, and, you know, I, I think Beaver fans should expect better. 
I think they should expect them to go down to Berkeley and, and beat a Cal team that was in the, the basement of the division. But at the end of the day, it's going to happen. You know, you're, you're going to lay an egg here and there when you're a team that's, that's competing for bowl eligibility. That's, that's just what these kinds of teams do. Um, but I, I think we have seen the potential of this Oregon State team, and it's very high. And so I think that being disappointed after a result, after a result like this is 100% warranted. And at the end of the day, it's a game that Oregon State should have won. So demanding better is 100%. Um, it's, it's 100% right. Expectations. Um, there's some reports out today that US or UCLA boosters may be looking to try to buy out Chip Kelly, who's five and four now at UCLA. Obviously, they expect more. Obviously, USC expects more. Where do you, we're on your Smith or your four of Coach Smith and his staff. Let's just talk about the staff a little bit. What, you know, what, what are your thoughts overall on the, on the staff in general? Well, I think at this point, it's been proven that there are a couple of coaches that Oregon State needs to try to keep at all costs. And the first one being Jonathan Smith. I, I mean, he's, he's the leader of this program and he's got this thing trending in the right direction. I don't think there's any question that he's the man for the job at this point. I think as Oregon State started to win some games, you know, people started saying, oh no, like we've got to be careful. You know, Smith might get poached. We got to, you know, maybe up his contract a little bit there's a chance you're going to see that. Um, and, and I, I'm fully confident that Oregon state's going to do everything in its power to keep him at the helm. But then with the assistance, Brian Lindgren, I think we're all in agreement needs to be retained at, at all costs. I, I think he's proven that he's one of the best offensive offensive coordinators in this conference. Uh, Jim Mahalachek is probably one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. So I think you try to keep him at all costs and, um, you know, whether that's bumping his salary or giving him a, a nice long contract. I don't know what it takes, but I think you have to keep him. Uh, Trent Bray on the defensive side is, is another one of those guys. And then. Okay. But um, let's talk about that because there's been some discussion in the lodge that middle linebackers have not improved much this year, aside from Avery Roberts, um, that there's been question about those guys. I still think that that coach Bray is one of the top position coaches on this team. And I think a, a lot of the inside linebacker play, you know, it, it comes back to other positions too, because these guys are asked to do a lot. And if other position groups on the team aren't doing their job, it makes their, their job a lot more difficult. So look at the outside linebackers, look at the D line. If these guys aren't in the right position, it makes it a lot more difficult for Omar Spates and Avery Roberts to make the plays they need to. And, um, and the defensive and, backs who have been taking a lot of heat as well. hundred percent. And, and I know that some people have started to question Omar Spade's ceiling. I, I think that's a result. I think that's a result of what I just mentioned with mm -hmm. some of the other groups, maybe not living up to, to what they need to do. I, I think Spades is one of the best inside linebackers in, in the conference. And um, you know, the fact that he hasn't played up to the level that we become to become accustomed to recently um, that's, I don't, I don't think it's a knock against him, but going back to the coaches, cause that was, we went yes. on a little tangent yes. there. Um, there are a couple coaches on the staff that in year four need to show more improvement than they have. And I, I think what we've seen from the D line with, with coach, uh, Noah is it's positive, right? That, that D line group has improved. 
but has it improved enough? You know, these are these are the questions that you need to start asking at this point in, in Coach Smith's tenure. And at the defensive coordinator spot, I, I think we're all in agreement that there just simply hasn't been enough improvement. Um, and that's that's a that's a coaching position that Jonathan Smith is going to have to take a really hard look at this offseason. Yeah, uh, I'm going to reference a thread in the lodge, which is super, super good. I just want to pull some of the stats from it because it looks at scoring offense and scoring defense rankings. And so under Smith, the Beavs are averaging a ranking of 67th on offense, scoring offense. Um, this year, 31 as is the best average we've seen. Even Erickson's scoring offense averaged 35, okay? Um, so you're in the upper echelon of, of offenses, and, and we're seeing that on the field. However, defense, and I, like I said, I, I don't think any of us are complaining about the offense at all. Um, and I think when you hire someone like Jonathan Smith, who's an offensive guy, him and Lindgren, they're running the offense. But that is, that's what makes it even more important for Coach Smith to bring in a stellar defensive coordinator. Um, the current coordinator has never had a final season defensive scoring ranking higher than 86. That's lower quarter um, in his career, and that's spanning three different universities. Right now, Oregon State is sitting at 71, 71st in scoring defense. Under Smith, his average has been 109th. Um, trending right now, though, it, he would we would end, end the season with a scoring defense ranked at 102. That's out of 130 teams. Um, is, we've talked about this back and forth a little bit. Is this a scheme? Is it personnel? Um, I know we see people tell me it's personnel, that Oregon State doesn't have the, the talent. But my argument back is this is year four, and that's where the coaches have needed to either better the talent or come up with scheme to maximize the talent they have. What are, what are your thoughts on this defense? Yeah. Um, so, so after the game in the, in the post-game press conference, we talked to Jaden Grant, Chance Nolan and, and Jonathan Smith. And I, I really liked, this was the first time I think in a long time I had seen multiple guys take real accountability for a loss. Jaden Grant as a team captain, put it on the players. He said, I, I, I we're, we're the ones who put ourselves in this position. It wasn't the coaches. It wasn't the game plan. It was us. We did not execute at the level that we needed to. Jonathan Smith came back and said, you know, we as coaches need to do a better job putting them in positions to be successful. And, you know, he, he, nobody's going to come out and no coach is going to come out and, and throw the rest of his staff under the bus. I mean, no. maybe one coach in, in recent history. <laughs> uh, no, that would just be Twitter's to a, a media or a, text messages to a media member yeah yeah I mean that's that's a story for another day but um nobody's the point is nobody's going to throw their staff members under the bus unless your name has you know the letters ga in it but um <laughs> what Jonathan Smith said really resonated with me it was you know we need to put our players in a better position that was really the most accountability that I think Smith and, and staff have taken really in this season, this season, at least um, he's recognizing, you know, that there is something wrong schematically. If you read between the lines there, you know, as I said, he's, he's not going to name names or anything. He's not going to say, you know, so-and-so isn't doing their job. Um, 
but he's he's pointing to the theme that we're all seeing, right? You know, he's he's pointing to the defensive scheme. Um, and I, I liked that accountability. You know, I, I think that he's recognizing that there are deficiencies in what they're trying to run. Uh, and, and the players, I like that they're taking credit for not executing at the level that they should either. So something, I, I think something will change. You know, I, I think it's, it's kind of reached a, a tipping point where um, the players are realizing that things aren't working and, and the coaches are also now, especially the ones in, in power are, are starting to realize that things aren't working to the way that they could be. Because when you look at this defense, I mean, it's, it's got a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're not recognizing that potential, uh, something, something's not working and, and I'm, I'm glad that they're to, taking accountability for it. Yeah. I mean, third, to me, it's third down defense. And then the lack of a pass rush is, is huge. It's, um, yeah. Third down one tackle for loss against Cal. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's after Oregon state had in the last two years combined, I, I think had about 20 tackles for loss against the golden bears. And I love, I've, I've received several text messages and emails from Beaver Blitz members and Beaver fans. And, and they keep telling me, well, you know, I, I read he said, she said, but, you know, would you say that Oregon State doesn't have the talent of other, does not have Pac-12 talent? And my, my comment back is maybe not across the board, but at the same time, it's not like Oregon State has way less talent than they've ever had before. It's, it's a matter of scheming to be in the best spot. I mean, I look back. Back in the day, Rocky Long had some of the best defenses in Oregon State's history, and that was with some of the worst teams that Oregon State has ever had because he was able to scheme it and, and utilize his guys in the best possible position. And I will also say that this is a year where you can say that a lot of these, these struggles are you know, maybe at the fault of, of the coaching staff because I think that for once, we're seeing Oregon State field Pac-12 level talent at pretty much every position. Um, on, on the defensive side, you've got probably the Pac-12 defensive player of the year at inside mm-hmm. linebacker and Avery Roberts. You've got a defensive line that has dramatically improved. It's a lot deeper. It has more talent. Uh, and you've got a secondary that has real playmakers, Ray John Wright, Jaden Grant, Katano Ladapo. I mean, these guys are real Pac-12 level playmakers. Uh, and so you've got on, on both sides of the ball, some of the best players in the Pac-12. I mean, look at the offensive line some of the best position groups. Uh, and, and so I don't, I think the talent disparity, that gap has shrunk dramatically over the last four years. Oregon state is right there with the best of them at a lot of positions. Well, and I'd and, argue too, that a lot of, most of the pack 12 is, is not I, looking at talent top to bottom, unless you're um, an Oregon or USC, I'd, I'd say that a lot of pack 12 schools are kind of in the same boat. You're going to have some really good players. You're going to have some more developmental players. And um, that's just kind of where the Pac-12 is. Yeah. And, and my point being, if you have that talent and if you're competing with the best of them, um, it, if, if something's not working, that oftentimes comes back to the coaching staff, right? Like that, that comes back to your scheme. You, you have to make the most of what you've got. Uh, and, and Oregon State has the talent to be a, a top four team in the conference this year. They still are. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think... I think a lot of the struggles we've seen have, have just really been a case of the schemes and, and play calling and, and you name it, not taking full advantage of the luxury that Oregon state has this year with one of the more talented teams I've ever seen at, at Oregon state. I agree. And, and I don't want to, I, I, I usually hate talking about this kind of stuff because I don't want it to feel like a knock, like we're 
we're being, you know, throwing hate at, I mean, these coaches are all great, nice people, nice men. They're trying their hardest. They're not trying to, you know, lose games, but um, it's just stuff we see. Sometimes being a little removed from the locker room maybe makes it a little easier to see, see things that maybe and, tougher to see up close. And, and that's an important point too, because, you know, with, with all of the talk there has been about, you know, needing a change at defensive coordinator and, and position group and, you know, position coaches needing to get fired. Like I, I'm the last person to throw, throw guys under the bus. You know, I'm very complimentary of, of all of these guys on the staff because we work very closely with them. You know, we talk to them every week and, um, you know, we, we see what they're like on and off the field. And I have a lot of respect for every single one of them. I think, you know, even if things don't work out at Oregon State, a lot of these guys are going to have very long careers in coaching because at the end of the day, you know, they're coaching at the power five level. These guys are doing something right to get here. Um, and, and so I, you know, I don't like bashing any of these guys and I have a, a ton of respect for them, as I said. And so, you know, maybe what you see from me might, might come off as optimism a lot of the time, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's out of respect for these guys. And yeah. while I do want the best for Oregon State and I think at some point you have to cut bait and move on. Uh, if, if you want to get to the next level, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take any personal jabs at any of these guys. Exactly. They are at the end of the day, still very good at what they do. Yeah. Um, and, and they're, they're just generally very nice people. And I, I think Jonathan Smith did a very good job initially when he came in of, of building a staff of guys that could create not only the success that he was looking for, but also a, a pretty solid culture. Yeah, I agree. It's a good culture. Um, but like I said, this is a, a this is a, a big business now. And um, especially in the Pac-12 level. And when you have guys making over half a million dollars a year, um, it, it does, it becomes more cutthroat. But like, like you said, they've all, um, like, so we don't want any of this to be a personal attack on any coach. They're all been great people. They've helped like you said, turn the culture around this program that was really, really broken four years ago. Yeah. And Coach Smith came in, you know, let's, let's just say that, that things at the end of the year, don't go Tim Tibisar's way. And maybe he's looking for a new job in, in January, what he did, what he accomplished was he was on a staff that, that turned one of the worst defenses in the country into a group that held some pretty good teams uh, that, that caused a lot of problems for some really good teams this year. And, you know, he built something. It, yeah. it might not have been good enough to hold California under 39 points, but it's, it's so much better than it was when he got here. And I, I think everybody on, on this staff deserves a lot of credit for, for where they've gotten, even if they're, you know, still maybe underperforming a bit, things are just so much better than, where they were at the end of the 2017 season. Well, that's obvious because this, this is the kind of conversation we're having today, Carter, is what does Oregon State need to take that next step? And I, I think the defense is what's holding this team back from being one of the top contenders in the Pac-12 as opposed to where it's at right now. I mean, look at this defense, how bad it is, and Oregon State is still in the upper echelon of Pac-12 right now. Imagine if that defense was just average in the 50s ranked. Uh, we could be sitting, you know, with maybe one loss or two loss right now instead of three. Um, so I, that is a huge testament, you know, and, and the fact that the care factor is at an all-time high in the past decade for Oregon State fans, that people care and they are engaged again. So um, that is and, it's a big step. And that's what makes losses like this one to Cal 
just that's what makes it hurt you know that's what yeah. makes these games sting because i think because um, five years ago that loss would have been like oh here yeah we go. Same, same old yeah thing. you know 2017 there was so much apathy in the fan base that a 14 point loss on the road to cal would have been oh, well that's yep. just what oregon state does you know an, another week in college football um but now you go down there and you're searching for bowl eligibility and you're on track to you know, you control your own destiny in, in terms of getting to the Pac-12 championship. Uh, you're playing for something and a loss like this that you expect to win, that's what makes it hurt. And while it, it absolutely stinks to feel that way as a fan, um, it's, it's a good thing, you know, because it means not only that you care, but that, that the program is, is making progress. And, um, you know, these, these tough losses that we're seeing this year, as I said before, we're just kind of the way it was three years ago. So yeah. that's, that's something. Yeah. It's moving in the right direction. I just think it's Beaver fans are impatient. They want it now. Let's talk a quick overview of the PAC 12, because I think that's the other part that hurts is that the PAC 12 is not that good. I mean, anybody's beating anyone on a given day. I don't know you were, I know we're checking out the Bay area. You probably didn't see much, but that Washington state absolutely demolished ASU on the road. I did not see that one coming, but um, that was huge. Stanford lost to Washington. Um, USC beat Arizona, but it was a little closer than I think anybody had thought. Um, and then Utah comes in and really puts the hammer down on UCLA. Um, what are your thoughts to Pac-12, besides that it's just a wide open race? Is that not the most Pac-12 week you've ever seen? <laughs> it was seriously the most Pac-12 I mean, week. You almost, you had Arizona go in and almost lose their two-year-long losing streak at um, USC at, at USC how about that and then <laughs> I think probably the most surprising outcome was Washington State beating Arizona State in the fashion that it did um, we, we talked about accountability earlier on in the pod but Herm Edwards after the game saying yeah this one's on the players you know that's that makes you stop and think uh, like, do you want to, you're an athlete, Carter. Would you want to go play for that? No, no, not at all. You know, you sure. Like, yeah, the players might've lost that game for them. The coaches could have had a perfect game plan and the players didn't execute, but no coach you should say that. You, you don't say that in public at all. That's you can say that in the locker room. You can say, Hey, look, you guys flat out blew it. You got to play better. Yeah. And you know, that's totally respectable, but to go public with that, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting move by by Herm, yeah. and I think I think he's starting to feel the pressure a little bit. Yeah. To be completely honest, you know yeah. the trajectory of that program was was looking positive, and then you had the all of the allegations over the offseason come down, and you know now they're not living up to expectations this year. They're losing a lot more games than I think people expected they would. Uh, things are I don't know Arizona State situation is really weird, and I, I think Oregon State gets them at a good time, right? Like two weeks from now, Arizona State's coming into research probably going to be a cold rainy night you're going to have a, a herm edwards led staff that is quite frankly in shambles right now and in a team that's not living up to expectations oregon state's got a chance to do something big there against the sun devils yeah yeah kind of avenge the last year's loss yeah it's it's been a wild pack 12 but three games left hopefully the beeves can uh can uh, make some hay here in the last couple weeks we haven't done damn questions in a while, but I have a bunch today. You want to do some damn questions? Yeah, I think I, I haven't uh, I haven't screened any of these, but I think there's a chance we're going to have some good ones after a loss. Yeah, I think there's some good ones here. 
um but yeah there's some Matt Giafoni I, I'm kind of surprised because he always asks about how many Juco D linemen we're going to pick and he doesn't have that this week he has a bunch of random ones but um let's see he said why doesn't Gould get more touches I feel like I would put the ball in his hands three to four times per game any way I can what do you think why is he getting why is he not getting more touches I mean, you kind of touched on this earlier, you know, ride the hot hand. While Trevon Bradford is doing a lot of really good things in the passing game, um, there, there are a lot of touches to go around. And yeah. we're seeing, you know, Zariah Beeson's maybe not living up to what we thought we'd get out of him this year. Um, Treshawn Harrison, while he has made a few big plays, hasn't really emerged as a go-to target. Why not throw gold in there and see what he can do? Because when he has gotten touches, he's really made the most of it. So um, I, I don't know, maybe the coaches are hesitant to, to jump him over some of those other guys on the depth chart just to keep other guys happy. I, I don't know if that's it, um, but there's no reason in my mind that Gould shouldn't continue to be a big focal point in this offense because every time he's come in, he's, he's made something happen. Yeah, he's, he's had. So CBV says, and this, this piggybacks on there, is that you know wide receivers on paper have looked like that's a super talented group but they're really struggling to get separation. Is this a coaching issue or is this a, a talent issue? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the receivers as a whole? Well, outside of Isaiah Hodgins back in the 2017, 18 realm, this has been a very consistent issue for the wide receivers. And we know that this group has been very talented for a very long time. Um, but outside of Hodgins, I, you know, Oregon state really has, had a very difficult time getting open downfield. Um, I think Kafense Hinson is a great coach, right? Like, I, I think he's an excellent recruiter. He's a great developer of talent. Um, but I, if, if we're going to be fair, if, if we're going to criticize other position coaches, you have to wonder too. I mean, like, is, is there something missing there that he's not, you know, putting receivers in positions to, to get themselves open? Like, is, is there something there? I, I have always been of the opinion that Hinson's one of the top position coaches on this team, but we, we talk about trends, you know, this is four years now that you've had a consistent issue at wide receiver. Why isn't it getting better? Yeah. I, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't have an answer for it either because on paper, these receivers should be a strength of the offense. And we're not seeing that. Um. Matt also going back to Matt Giafoni, and I hope I say your name right. I hope um, he has an Angie special because I've always been high on Dylan Morris since I saw him as like a junior in high school or sophomore in high school. Um, he said, if he were in to enter the portal, should OSU take a run at him? What do you think, Carter? Man, quarterbacks are really, it's just kind of funny. Like Oregon State's situation at, at quarterback is so unique in that I think the two best quarterbacks on this roster are true are on freshmen. The yeah. Yeah. I and agree. I, I think what one of those guys is the future of this program. Um, and, you know, I hate to say it, but in this era where everybody's looking for playing time, I think it's going to be difficult to keep both Goldbranson and Vidlack on the roster. Um, I, I'd hope that Oregon state, you know, picks the right one, you know, handing the keys to the offense to one of them. Um, but I, I just think there's so much talent and, and depth at that position that keeping everybody happy 
uh, is, is going to be pretty hard. And so I think if you bring in a guy like Dylan Morris, if he enters the transfer portal, you know, what, what does that tell those other guys? You know, are, are you lacking confidence in them? I mean, the only way I think you do it because, you know, Neuer's gone this year and he's kind of a backup is if Jebbia can't go anymore. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if we haven't, he hasn't been able to play all season. If he has to medically retire, then I could see it potentially as a, um, and I, Dylan Morris has not really performed great um, at Washington. Yeah, I'm still of the opinion though that that Dylan Morris is a lot better than what he's shown. I just think that Washington's offense, uh, particularly, you know, I mean, uh, that offensive coordinator hire was really questionable at, mm-hmm. at the time, and I think they're starting to see why um, people were bashing that hire. You know, yeah, I mean, just, Dylan there's, Morris under Lindgren and Smith. Yeah, like there's, there's a ton of talent on that Washington offense. It's a great O-line. It's an incredible O-line. Um, Washington always recruits really well to the skill positions. And, of course, quarterback, they've recruited incredibly at quarterback. Um, I, I think that um, I, I think that Morris is a lot better than, than what we're seeing. So if he entered the transfer portal and if he went to Oregon State, I think the Beavers would be better for it. But but I agree with you. You don't want to run just, off. It's, it's very hard to bring in talent to a quarterback room that has so much of it already in this era. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, the only way I could see it working is if somehow Jebbia had to medically retire and you have to bring in another quarterback. But um, you have to, you know, Travis Throckmorton is also a senior right now, putting up some big numbers at Simi Valley. Okay, what in the blue hell, OSU, who actually makes the best gifs in the entire history of the world he even made me into judge judy that was incredible that was yes that was crazy but and some of his jonathan smith ones are awesome anyway our team has its issues we've grieved them ad nauseum but if you had to trade team issues with another team in the pack which would it be wazoo with the rolo situation washington who can't score points if their life depended on it but the defense can lock it down. ASU, undisciplined staff and team, virtual tie for most penalty yards in the pack and have an investigation looming because of off-season activity. Or USC, with a coaching change coming, talented but can't get out of its own way, tie with ASU for most penalty yards. Five stars galore to work with. Who would you trade places with? I wouldn't trade places with any program that has controversy going on. So Washington state and Arizona state are out. Okay. Um, I, I think the optics of, of those situations are pretty difficult and you're seeing it at Washington state that's recruiting it or that's resulting in just a complete drop off in recruiting. Um, you, you don't want to be in that, in the position that Washington state's in. You also don't want to be in a position that, that the Sun Devils are in where you have no idea if your coaching staff's going to be intact next year. Um, I think USC will always be the, the, the class of the Pac-12, just in terms of its tradition, uh, its history, you know, its, its location in one of the absolute best recruiting hotbeds in the country. It's never going to have a lack of resources. And so I, I think USC is just one great coaching hire away from returning to prominence. So I would take, I would take the problems that USC has any day. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, USC is, like I said, they're just, they're one piece away from getting back to absolute dominance on a year in and year out basis. So 
Oregon State had to trade positions with anyone. I, I think USC, I think a lot of teams across the country would trade positions with USC. I would love to see, this is what I'd love. I would love to see USC's offense with Coach Lindgren and Coach Smith. That'd be incredible, With, with their right? talent, right? I, I mean, yeah, you've got, I mean, I hated to see Drake London I go know, out with a season-ending injury. Um, but promising young talent at quarterback, uh, arguably before he got injured, the, the best wide receiver in the country. Uh, the the only thing lacking on that team was the offensive line. But yeah, yeah, if you put Oregon State's offensive lines line. and and you know and you combine the coaching staff with the talent that USC has there, I think you could be looking at one of the top offenses in the country. But like OSU Prof says, he answered this question in in the thread, and he said, "But this is exactly why we should be taking advantage of a top to bottom disaster within our conference this season." Instead, we're beating ourselves against the last place team in the North. Thanks for that, OSU Prof. Just kicking me in the stomach once again. Keeping it real. Um, okay, here's one for you. Um, Reeser B23, who always has good comments. He says, is Avery Roberts and are Avery Roberts and Omar Spates more of a benefit or a hindrance to our defense? They're great tackling, but they're not great in coverage, which may be part of our problem on third down with lack of speed. Or do you think that goes back to what you talked about earlier, the problem with the defensive line? I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I, I mean, I'd really, I, I know what he's getting at, but I don't think you can call Avery Roberts a hindrance to yeah. the Oregon State defense. I mean, this, this guy is one of the best defenders Oregon State has ever had. He's, as I said, probably the, the lead contender for defensive player of the year. Um, but I, I, I get what he's saying, you know, coverage has been a, a question for those guys. Um, but they're asked, as I said earlier, they're just asked to do so much because they are in the middle of a three, four defense, you know, they have to clean up the mess that's left by a defensive line that still, while it has improved, isn't great. Um, and they have to cover guys downfield as well. So, you know, you, you put them in this position where, they have to play up towards the line of scrimmage and also drop back and be the primary tacklers in the defense. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. And so yeah. I, I think sometimes they get stretched pretty thin um, and it's a, a testament to, to their ability that they've been able to do what they have um, despite being put in all of those positions. Yeah. I mean, if you could have a whole team of Avery Roberts, pretty, pretty good. Okay. RD Ubeev has a two-parter. It's actually a really good thought-provoking one here, Carter. Um, and I know you were in the box and I was watching on TV. So it was really interesting to watch on TV because early or in the first half, um, they had one of the uh, rat assistants mic'd up for Cal. And Cal's players came off the field and said Oregon State had zero energy. That to me is the most disappointing thing, right? I mean, it's kind of like my own kids. I tell them as long as they're trying their best and doing their best, I'm, I'll never be upset with them. But if you hear the other team saying you have no energy, you know, no energy. Um, so it says, we hear a lot about a huge hurdle in rebuilding a program is quote, learning how to win. I've just sort of assumed that we had this box checked this year based on our team's approach to games most weeks. I've had a thought creep in after the Washington state loss. And again, after the Cal loss that maybe we know how to win, but the next step in this program is learning how to come down from an emotional game and bring the energy in the following week. Carter, I felt that four games, I felt that four games this year, the Beavs looked flatlined coming out of the gate. One was the road against Purdue. The other three were right after emotional wins, Washington, um, 
and then after Utah before the Cal game. Have you thought the same thing regarding the energy level on this team, especially comparing um, Washington State and Cal? I think it's fair to say that there's an element of that for sure. Um, what I will say is, you know, that that grad assistant for Cal making the comment that he did, like, yes, Oregon State didn't look like it had a ton of energy. Um, but as someone who's, who's, you know, been in athletic settings before and been on teams like that, that's something that a coach is going to say to hype his own players up. You know, that's, that's something that, that you say to, you know, give your own players confidence that, Hey, they're going to go out there and they're going to make plays. Um, whether it's, you know, whether the other team does look like it's depleted of energy or not, that's just, that's not an uncommon thing to hear, but I do think it was accurate to an extent. You know, I, I do think that that fumble at the beginning of the game, it, I, I think that left a, a mark on Oregon state offensively in particular. Um, and, and just the slow start that Oregon state got off to in general, um, it was, it was always going to be difficult for them to bounce back from that. And it did look like sometimes they were playing a little bit deflated. Um, how do you fix but, that then as a, as an athlete, how do you fix that? I mean, how do you get your, your mind right? Is that on captains? You know, is that on coaches? It is. It is on, on leadership, but it's also some of that is, it just comes with the way the game is going. You know, sometimes all it takes is one big play to spark it. Um, th there were times, you know, as, as, as a basketball player that, you know, I would be in games where things aren't going right, but then you go on one little run and you say, all right, here we go. Like, you know, we fixed it. We're good. We're going to go out and we're going to win this game now. Um, I thought that that long touchdown pass to Trevon Bradford was the spark. I, I thought that was going to turn things around. And I was pretty confident at that point that Oregon state was going to go on and win the game actually at that point, credit to Cal for coming back and answering, but sometimes that's what it takes. And, and other times it is on coaching and team captains to fire your guys up. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, nothing, nothing energizes a team more than success and Oregon state just consistently didn't find enough of it. Uh, in Berkeley. And you think about, go back to the Utah game and they struggled that first half. And really that play was that block punt that Luke Musgrave, uh, you know, block punt scoop score. So um, that really was kind of the catalyst then for, for the Beavers to kind of turn that game around. You're right. I mean, just one little spark can kind of energize the, the group. Um, yeah. And, you know, home field advantage, I, I think that term is thrown out a lot and and, you know, people say, well, home field advantage is a real thing, but I, I don't necessarily know that a lot of people understand like exactly the nuances of how that works. And you mentioning the blocked punt made me think of this, the way the crowd reacted to that blocked punt touchdown at, at Oregon state, that was the loudest I had heard research stadium in a very long time. Um, that, that energizes a team, the, the play itself, finance success uh, in, in special teams and, and, you know, turning a blocked punt into immediate points, that's huge for confidence, energy, momentum, you name it. Um, but to have that crowd on your side too, uh, to have them rooting for you, and it, it just adds to the energy. And when you're in a stadium that is pretty empty, at, at, <laughs> you know, in Berkeley, if we're being honest, there's nobody at the game. Um, and, and the very few people that are there are rooting against you. You have to create your own energy. And the best way to do that, as I said, is to find success and, and have big plays. 
And the fact that the Beavers weren't really able to do that with a ton of consistency, I think made it even more difficult for them to generate their own energy. Um, yeah, because defensively, so, there weren't even big sacks. I mean, there was nothing to... Yeah, yeah. And I, I think while it is imperative to have great leadership, uh, both on the coaching staff and on your roster, there is nothing that'll fire a team up like doing something big. And what you saw in, in that Utah game was that blocked punt really just kind of turning things around. Um, and it's, it's a lot more difficult to do that on the road. It, it just, it just is. And, and that's why a lot of teams do struggle on the road because it's a lot harder to create your own energy. And with that, the Beavs hit the road again this week. They're going down up or over to Boulder, um, 5 PM mountain, 4 PM Pacific kick Pac 12 network. Carter will be flying out and we'll be covering the game in Boulder. So I'm excited um, to bring that coverage to Beaver fans. Um, Carter, what are your initial thoughts just heading um, for the team heading to Boulder? You think on paper, it should be a, a game the Beavs win. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, Washington State was a, a game that we thought Oregon State would win. California was a, a game that we thought Oregon State would win. I think I'm, I'm more confident this week than I was in either of those two. There's nothing in this year's Colorado team that particularly scares me as far as, I mean, that sounds like a slide against Colorado. I, I, I mean, no disrespect to them whatsoever. I just think that, that Oregon state is, is more talented. It's, it's got a better coaching staff to this point. Um, there's, there's no reason that Oregon state shouldn't be able to go in and win by multiple scores. In my opinion, um, it's, it's a great bounce back spot after a disappointing loss to, to go in against an opponent that's really struggled this year um, that can't really score the ball with a ton of consistency and, uh, and quite frankly, that's lost a lot of games. Uh, I, I think it's a soft landing spot for Oregon State. Be even softer if it was at home. But um, I, I do like this as an opportunity for the Beavers to get bowl eligible because I think there's probably an element of that too. You know, probably a little bit of internal pressure to get that sixth win. And um, this is outside of Arizona, the best team to do it against. So I like the Beavers' chances here. Um, I'm going to pick a win. I think a lot of people are going to pick a win. I know the Beavers opened as, I believe, 11-point favorites. 11-point, yeah. Um, so a, a lot of people are pretty confident that the Beavers will take care of business on the road. And um, for all intents and purposes, they, they very well should. I, I would be pretty concerned if, if they didn't. Stick with Beaver Blitz. Carter will be covering the team all week down in Corvallis again then heading out to, to Boulder. Great discussions in the lodge. And we'll be back next week for another episode of the Dam Podcast.